Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, October 25th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news and have a spoiler discussion about the new movie, Dune. Uh, the Slash Film editorial director, Peter Serretta, and joining me on this podcast is Slash Film senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And senior writer and chief film critic, Chris Evangelista. Hello. How you guys doing? Good. Right. Good. <laughs> It's raining here in Los Angeles, so I'm not sure if you can hear the rumble of the rain hitting my roof, but we'll push through this. So let's talk about some stuff before we get to Dune. So no worries about spoilers on Dune. We'll give you a heads up. So if you haven't seen that yet, uh, don't worry. Uh, so first, we'll get to some news. Uh, last week, we were talking about this uh, horrible accident that happened on the set of Rust. It was a fatal shooting and uh, we kind of, uh, you know, gave you all the information we had at that time. And now that more information is coming out, it doesn't sound like a complete – it, it sounds like it, the more we're learning, it doesn't sound like it's a complete freak accident. It, it sounds like there's some negligence here. Ben, do you want to fill us in on the details? Yeah, I'll try to do my best. There's there's still more information coming in, like seemingly every day, and I think um, there's supposed to be a press conference this coming Wednesday with even more information about this. So uh, keep all of that in mind. But um, some of the highlights or lowlights, depending on your perspective <laughs> here, uh, some of the things that that we've learned since that podcast were that um, several crew members ended up uh, like protesting and and basically handing in their resignation and like walking off the set hours before that fatal shooting occurred uh, last week, specifically because of um, uh, like gun safety issues. There had actually been two misfires from the gun uh, like a few days before and then an additional misfire the week before. So we're talking three total uh, gun safety issues on this single production before the fatal incident occurred, which is like, I, I don't understand how that happens. Um, I'm, I'm still baffled by that. Uh, yeah. So the, the, uh, that's several insane. The, that's insanity. Like that's really the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and not changing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's insanity. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the other instances of, uh, that the crew were sort of protesting was like, basically they had been promised that they were going to be set up in hotel rooms near Santa Fe or in Santa Fe, which is near the, uh, Bonanza Creek ranch, which is where the production was taking place. Uh, but after filming started, the crews were told that they instead would have to drive 50 miles from Albuquerque each day, instead of staying overnight, like very close nearby. And that is something that IATSE has been talking about and, and sort of has been at the heart of a lot of the protests and complaints that have been going on, not just on this production, but uh, across Hollywood in general, talking about like safety and and just basic things that, that crews are, are asking for from productions. Um, but I don't know if that was done. I'm sure it was done to cut some sort of cost. But uh, yeah, and then I mean, you know, even more sort of horrible things have come out since then, like uh, search warrants that came out, uh, I think, yesterday basically um, ran down this whole scenario where the assistant director on the, on the movie, Dave Halls had grabbed one of uh, several prop guns and yelled the phrase cold gun and handed it to Alec Baldwin and cold gun means that it should mean that there are no live rounds in the gun. That obviously was not true in this case. So uh, Halls has actually had several complaints lodged against him for previous work um, that he's done, including uh, let's see, CNN says, uh, a disregard for safety protocols for weapons and pyrotechnics use blocked fire lanes and exits and instances of inappropriate uh, sexual behavior in the workplace. So, um, yeah, it sounds like there, there's a pattern of uh, really bad stuff all the way around here. And, um, you know, it, it's it speaks to that culture that we were talking about in that previous podcast about uh, independent productions just doing whatever they can to sort of cut costs and make the most of what they have. But um you know, the, the safety obviously is supposed to be uh, the of the most paramount concern, and it certainly was not on this set, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, it's a sad situation. Hopefully, you know, hopefully something like this <laughs> makes some kind of change. I don't know what kind of changes you can make because I, I, I've talked to some filmmakers about, you know, the all the precautions that were put into effect after, you know, Brandon Lee's death from the crow. And like, if you follow those, there's, there's almost like no chance. There is no chance of anything going wrong, but it's everybody's, I, I guess, I guess it's actually making sure that all those things are being followed through. And that's what I was kind of one of the things they were fighting for. So, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, I'm sure this will not be the, the last we hear of that. Uh, but let's move on. Let's talk about, Mike Flanagan, uh, horror movie director, it says he wants to make a Star Wars horror movie. Chris, tell us about this. Is this just a tweet or do you think he actually has an idea? This, as of now, this is just a tweet. And I I don't know if he has like an actual idea for he's just like, it'd be cool to have a Star Wars horror movie. But uh, (laughs) I support this idea in theory. I've said this before in the past about, you know, Star Wars, it it feels like you can do so much more with star Wars than what they're currently doing with it. And I'm talking about like the live action things. I I don't really have a lot of information about the, uh, the animated stuff, but I just mean like, you know, why not give us different genres in the star Wars world? Like I would love like a star Wars rom-com and I would love a star Wars horror movie because you know, you already have ghosts built into star Wars lore and there, you know, there's all sorts of, weird alien monsters and stuff. There's a lot you could do there. So uh, I don't think Mike Flanagan will make a star Wars horror movie, but if he did, <laughs> I would, I would absolutely watch it. 
Wait, so what, what was the tweet that, that start the, started this uh, discussion? Uh, he said, quote, got woken up by the earthquake this morning. He live, Obviously, he lives in California where they apparently you guys have earthquakes like every <laughs> every two days. And I always know this because everyone I follow on Twitter will tweet earthquake and nothing else. They'll just yeah. tweet the word earthquake. And that's how I know an earthquake just happened in L.A. Anyway, he said, got woken up by the earthquake this morning, sat there for a few minutes just thinking, quote, I'd really love to make a horror movie in the Star Wars universe. And that's it. That's literally the tweet. But, uh, you know, th- that's how Aww. we roll here at Slash Film. We we look at tweets like that and we say, <laughs> let's turn that into a whole story. And we did. But, I mean, do you think it's something in the earthquake that sparked this? Or do you think it was something in his dream <laughs> that... I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe the, uh, maybe the earthquake <laughs> dark, dark forces came up yeah. from the ground when the earth shook and inspired Mike Flanagan to come up with his scary Star Wars. I, I wish he would say what the idea was, but I guess, you know, if he tweets it out, someone might steal it. You know, someone over there at Lucasfilm <laughs> might be like, ha ha thank you, Mike Flanagan. So he's, he's keeping it in his back pocket for if, if uh, Kathleen Kennedy picks up the phone and gives him a call. You know, the animated shows have done kind of, I don't know if they've done an all-out horror um, episode, but they've kind of played with genres in that way. I know before Disney bought Lucasfilm, there was a book that was released that was called Death Trooper. Yeah, I mentioned that. Yeah, that's like a horror story. So I haven't read it, but yeah, the book is, is a, a horror novel. I think it was happy. like zombie stormtroopers yeah. or something. Yeah. So you are a big fan of Mike Flanagan, would you say? Am, am I categorizing? No, yeah, record? absolutely. I, I, I've been following him pretty much his whole career. Knowing his work and knowing Star Wars, what kind of Star Wars horror movie would you like to see? Uh, I mean, he's big into like family trauma and how that relates to horror. But whenever I think family in Star Wars, I immediately think, you know, the Skywalker family. And I don't, I want something else. I want, I've, <laughs> I've done with Skywalker things. Let's, let's get a new family in there. So I don't know. He would have to invent like a whole new, although I guess he doesn't have to invent there, There's so many characters in the Star Wars. It, it could just lore. be a family that like is caught in the, in the middle of this galactic war and it's being yeah. hunted down by, um, you know, the empire or something. And, and they're just like, God, I'm tired of all these Star Wars. And they say it directly <laughs> into the camera. That's... Uh, um, okay, let's move on to another Star Wars story. This is some casting news that broke on Friday after we recorded our podcast. We, we now know another name that is joining the Ahsoka TV series. Ben, tell us about it. Yes, that name is Hayden Christensen. He is coming back. Um, we know that Never he heard has of been... him. He's been cast in the uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, and we know that he's going to play uh, Darth Vader in that show because of where it takes place on the timeline. But uh, the Hollywood Reporter broke this news that Hayden Christensen is going to uh, reprise his role in Ahsoka, but it's unclear exactly if he's supposed to be playing Anakin Skywalker here or if he's going to actually be Darth Vader here because Ahsoka takes place in the same around the same point on the timeline as The Mandalorian, which is like, what, five years after... Uh, uh, what is it, Peter? Uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, five years after Return of the Jedi. So at that point, Darth Vader is dead. Like he, you know, lifted the the Emperor and threw him into the chasm, and then he died in the end of that movie. So uh, does this mean that Aiden Christensen will only show up as a Force ghost? Does it mean that uh, this, we're going to see flashbacks to when 
Anakin Skywalker was training Ahsoka because uh, I, I think, I mean, uh, like Chris, I do not have tons of insight in terms of the uh, the animated Star Wars lore, but my understanding is that uh, Anakin Skywalker was the sort of, um, uh, how would you say it? Like the, the mentor figure of uh, Ahsoka. Uh, she was his Padawan. She was like his, his trainee. So uh, there could be some room there to do flashbacks, maybe some digital de-aging or something along those lines. Um, if they wanted to go that route. But uh, what do you think about this, Peter? You know all about this stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, I will say this, that having Hayden Christensen come back for all this stuff seems kind of baffling to me because uh, typically he's going to, I'm guessing he would, I don't know. It's like, does if you're going to have him in the mask as Darth Vader, is there a reason to have Hayden Christensen even there? I mean, you could make that same argument for the Mandalorian, right? Because doesn't Pedro Pascal like yeah. stand in a lot and he barely, you know, shows his beautiful face. So but but he does the voice acting there. That's true, but, yeah. And but Hayden, Christ, Hayden Christensen doesn't even do the voice of Darth Vader. Maybe they're going to let him do it. It'd be, <laughs> be amazing. <laughs> I, I will say I, I heard about, um, about four months ago. Uh, it was something I couldn't report because of where I heard it from. But I had heard that Dave Filoni wanted to include Hayden Christensen in all, like all the TV shows, like the Filoni verse or the Mandalorian verse, whatever you want to call it, um, so that he was going to be a part of not only um, Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, but also Ahsoka and maybe even the Book of Boba Fett. Um, I don't uh, what else is there? I guess Rangers of the New Republic. We don't mm-hmm. even know what that is. So, I don't know. It is interesting that um Filoni sees something here with Hayden Christensen. I would think that if you're bringing back Hayden Christensen, you're going to do flashbacks. Or I mean, I guess you're right, uh Ben. You could do the Force Ghost because we did see that they replaced the Force Ghost in Return of the Jedi with Hayden Christensen in the special edition. So, yeah, I kind of think it would be cool if they're going to do this to have uh Christensen play Darth Vader, squarely play Darth Vader in Obi-Wan and then have him squarely play Anakin Skywalker in Ahsoka, like purely in flashbacks just so you get a, a little bit of both flavors from him in, you know, in these distinct different shows. Yeah. Um I don't know if they're going to make it as clean as that, but uh you know, on, on the other hand, I'm kind of bummed that they're relying so heavily on Darth Vader. Like, I understand the, the iconic power that that character has in the Star Wars universe, but I just wish that they would move off of this and, and you know, like the way that Darth Vader was used in Rogue One, where it's like that badass moment at the very end where he goes through the hallway and everybody like loses their mind and everything. It's just like, it feels like that moment was the, that was Lucasfilm's chance to break away from <laughs> and like really move into move forward into a new era of Star Wars. And by including that moment and and making it so quote unquote badass, it just feels like they regressed to the point where like now they're going to have to include Darth Vader and everything because everybody will riot if he's not in there. You know, I will say this. Filoni is really smart. He's he's a smart writer. He's a smart creator. And when uh, Vader was a part of Star Wars Rebels, he was only in it a couple times. Like he knew that like, you know, Vader is good in small doses. Uh, You you need to make it count when he appears. So I'm guessing that's going to be his philosophy here. So I don't know. Here's hoping. Uh, But one story that hit before we were right about to record is some new Batgirl casting. 
Uh, ben, you, you wrote this up for the site. I did. Brendan Fraser is going to be playing the villain in Batgirl, which is a movie that is going to be coming directly to HBO Max. Uh, stars Leslie Grace from In the Heights uh, in the title role of Batgirl. And Brendan Fraser is playing the villain. So we don't know specifically who he's playing yet. Deadline's report said that details are, are basically scarce about the moment or about the, the movie so far. But their sources believe that he will be playing a supervillain known as Firefly. And in the comic, I had never heard of this character, but in the comics, uh, he is basically a pyrotechnics expert who works on special effects in movies. And then uh, he's scarred by a fire at a, a chemical factory and turns to a life of crime. And he uses this like mechanical engineering skills to build himself a jetpack. And he uses a flamethrower. And he's like, yeah, like I said, just a, a pyromaniac. He's just constantly burning everything. How many Batman villains have their origin stories at chemical factories? I know. Is it like a whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you see yeah. when you see those wide shots of Gotham, you always see like those like that smoke coming out of like chemical yeah, they factories. Got, they, so. just have not, they have a whole they have a whole row chemical factory row where all the chemical factories are, and people will just keep falling into vats. Wayne in- Industries just like polluting the city, yeah. just dumping their waste everywhere. <laughs> but am I wrong that wasn't Brendan Fraser already in the DC universe? He Already? voices, uh, he's on, um, what's that show called? Doom like, Patrol. Yeah, he's he's like Robot. He's as the voice of Robot Man on that show. Yes. That? Wait, never, robot Man? I think that's, I've never oh, watched the show. Oh my God, it is Robot Man. Okay. I've, heard the show, <laughs> I've heard that show is good, but I've, I've never actually watched it. But I do know he's Robot Man on the show. Uh, has I don't think I've seen Brendan Fraser in a movie in, I don't know. Over ten years. Whoa, Peter! He's he's I, having wait, quite a moment. Wait, now. What, what what has he been in? I'm, he I'm, was I'm, just in the new uh, Steven Soderbergh movie. The uh, I didn't see that. No sudden move. He's he's good in that. He's a, he's a very small part, but he plays like a like a generic sort of henchman guy. But he makes it memorable because you know he's Brendan Fraser. Yeah, and he he just got cast in. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, and he's going to be the star of uh, Darren Aronofsky's next movie, The Whale. Um, he was mm. also in that show Trust a couple of years ago that Danny Boyle directed on FX. Oh, he was um, also in The Affair. I didn't, I didn't see that as well. Yeah, I think the that right around the time of The Affair, that was what twenty sixteen something like that. That was around the time that that the uh, the so called Brendan Fraser assance uh, began because I think before that he was in stuff like. Um, you know, furry vengeance and <laughs> extraordinary measures and like things that people were just kind of like, oh, this is this is not good. It was a sort of a fallow period for him. But yeah, over the past, I would say like three or four years, it seems like uh, he's been having uh, a, a good run recently. Wow. He 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 was in G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. I don't remember that. Yeah, oh, uncredited <laughs> as Sergeant Stone. OK, I don't, I don't think I ever saw that one. <laughs> I saw the yeah. first one. Chris, that is the first one. What's the yeah, first that one? is the first one. What the yeah. hell? I don't remember him in that. Whatever. I don't. <laughs> a, do... It says uncredited, so I'm <laughs> guessing it's like a voice or something. But okay, let, let's move on. Let's get. Let's go to the spoiler discussion of Denis Villeneuve's Dune. This is the new movie. It's an adaptation of the book. It's um, it's in theaters right now. You can see in IMAX. A lot of people on Twitter will tell you you're not seeing the movie if you're not seeing in the theater on IMAX. Well, you know what? Last night I saw it on my HBO Max, <laughs> and I guess I didn't see the movie. But um, uh, before we get into spoilers, um, Chris, what is your brief reaction of uh, of Dune? Uh, I liked. I mean, I I saw it back at the Toronto Film Festival. I'm I'm planning on rewatching it on HBO 
to see how it plays on TV and also to use uh, subtitles because I don't know if this is true across the board, but the theater I saw it in, I had a really hard time understanding some of the dialogue. Uh, part of that is because, you know, they use a lot of uh, words they made up for Dune or, you know, terms, you know, the, the weird terminology. But part of it was just the way it was mixed in the theater. It was just a lot of dialogue I could not comprehend. Uh, that said, I, you know, I like it. I think Dune is enjoyable. I like how big it feels. It feels like a huge movie where everything is is just gigantic. And um, I really loved uh, the score by, by Hans Zimmer. Um, you know, sometimes Hans Zimmer does a thing where he sort of like rips off his own work and he just does, because I guess he's just so, he's so busy and he, <laughs> he does so many soundtracks that there are times where you'll hear him doing music and you'll be like, Oh, this is just him repurposing music. He did somewhere else. Uh, but he doesn't do that with this. It, this is uh, one of his best scores because it doesn't sound a lot like his other scores. It's just a really weird, uh, chanty, sort of strange soundtrack. And I really love that. Uh, you know, it looks great. Uh, the costumes are great. You know, uh, Rebecca Ferguson is great. Uh, that said, I, I have a real problem with that this is clearly just half of a movie like i get it i get that the dune book is big and and they want to you know uh, have the sequel and i'm sure they will make the sequel but it really bugs me that the movie just ends and you know you could argue that people have done that you know the lord of the rings movie sort of did that but they they still felt like complete sort of adventures on their own even though they ended with like you know well we got to keep walking but this it's sort of just like it's just like well that's it the end. And I was just like, ah, like yeah. that's, that's how you want to end this. And I also, I don't know. Uh, I, we'll, talk, uh, we'll talk more about the ending of the movie okay. in a little bit. So yeah. What, what else? No. Yeah. But yeah. So it's, it, it's an enjoyable film. Uh, I do think some of the reactions have been a bit hyperbolic. Uh, I'm especially like when it premiered at, I think it premiered at the Venice film festival and people were coming out of that screening and being like, this is going to change cinema. And it's like, no, let's, let's, <laughs> Let's dial it down a notch, but it's a very good movie. It's a good example of a, of how you can still make a modern blockbuster that isn't, you know, shit. <laughs> it's yeah. like like if by the numbers cookie cutter sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I I liked it for what it was. Um, I just wish it felt more like a complete movie. And I'm sure, like, whenever the second one comes out and I watch them back to back, it'll feel better. It'll feel like a complete thing. But I just wish. Yeah, I wish I just wish there was just a little bit more closure. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm glad you mentioned the thing about the dialogue because I was watching this and I, I'm a little hard of hearing. And you know, I'm not. I don't know. Sometimes I got to put on subtitles when it's, especially when it's like a Guy Ritchie movie or something. Um, and I, I almost put on the subtitles and I decided not to because I almost I don't know when I'm watching a movie <laughs> with, uh, with Ketra, I almost feel like. I'm annoying her if I turn on the subtitles when they're not needed, if that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I definitely had that problem at home, Chris. So I, I think that is maybe a, a thing there. Um, th- uh, before we get to Ben's reaction, I just want to say this, I, this is a movie I think I admire a lot more than I enjoyed. Um, I think that the cinematography, the set designs, the costumes the music and i I had to look like 
on my phone to see out who this was. Usually Hans Zimmer, like you said, I you, you know it's a Hans Zimmer movie. Um, it, when when stuff is going down, it, it it's enjoyable, but it really feels like it doesn't. I don't know. I I do get that they're trying to. This book is an epic book, and they're they're it's a tough job in adapting this. They've already, you know Hollywood's already tried to adapt this a bunch of times already uh, to varying degrees of success, and it really felt, especially in the beginning, like okay, let's get this going. <laughs> I don't know, like, it felt slow moving, and I I don't know. I I feel like me saying that if you were listening to me saying this, not seeing that this movie, you would be like, oh, this is a guy that just likes Marvel blockbusters or whatever. But you know, I I love myself a Chris Nolan movie. I, I just feel um, I don't know, uh, Ben. What was your thoughts on Dune? Well, I read the book beforehand, so um, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed the movie overall. I thought it was about as good as it as they could have done, uh, given that it was just an adaptation of the first half of the of the story. Essentially, um, I think there's really only one major major scene that was cut from. That, that was in the book that did not make it into the film. Uh, and that's a scene that sort of details some of the political intrigue and some of the, the sort of, um, you know, chamber, uh, the, like the back and forth of the different families and all that kind of stuff that I, I think um, would be interesting and, and would maybe have you like invest a little bit more in who all of these people are and, and sort of flesh them out as characters. Like Josh Brolin plays this character named Gurney Halleck, who is like, the war master of house Atreides. And he's just, he, it feels like he's in the movie for 10 minutes or something. And he just sort of is like this gruff guy. Who's like, uh, yeah, I've, you know, seen a lot of battle and whatever. And then like, he's always quoting poetry and stuff like that. And, but like, you never really get a, a good sense of him as a, as a person. He's, he feels like more like a collection of, of, uh, ticks almost than, than as a, a real human. Um, so I think that's one of the downsides to this sort of super expansive um, approach to this material is that like, even at whatever it is, two and a half hours or something, there's so much stuff in this book. It's so dense that you don't really, uh, you get, you get much more of a, a sense of who Gurney Halleck character, who that is in the book than you do in this movie, which is sort of unfortunate, but yeah, like, like you guys have been saying, just the, the visuals are utterly stunning. I mean, you mentioned Chris Nolan and I think he said to Villeneuve that like, his adaptation of Dune is the biggest, uh, the, the most successful blending of live action and CG elements that Chris Nolan has ever seen. And I, I um, am trying <laughs> to think of if there's something else that, uh, that tops it, but I, I tend to agree with him there. I think um, there are so many shots of just where the camera is so, so far away from what's going on and massive, massive things are, you know, the size of ants in the frame. And it's just the scope on, on display is just sort of mind blowing. So, um, yeah, I, I really, uh, enjoyed most of it. I think the very, very end of the movie where, you know, this is the spoiler room. So we're talking about the, the end of the film. Um, the, one of my biggest complaints was, uh, there's a, a real quick shot of somebody riding on the back of one of the sandworms that is almost just like tossed off, uh, at the very, very end of the film. And I feel like because this movie uh, set that up where like that one character, um, I think it was Dr. Keynes, was about to uh, uh, jump on the back of a sandworm, but she was assassinated. I, I feel like there was so much uh, potential there for that, the act of riding on the back of a sandworm to be this really amazing thing. 
And this movie just sort of seemed like it was building and building and building to that. And then it just sort of like, oh, yeah, let's show it real quick uh, from a distance and then end the movie immediately instead of I feel like if they would have saved that for the second film and had that be something that was like truly epic to match the rest of the the scope and the sort of majesty of uh, the desert life and the, the Fremen people and all that kind of stuff. Like if they really had leaned into that, I think that would have been much more effective. But overall, that's a that's a little bit of a nitpick. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I think that goes to the point that Chris was bringing up, that this feels like half a story. <laughs> when you get to that point, it feels like, I don't know, when the music was beginning to like swell and you see that like very wide, far away shot of someone riding a sandworm and the music was trying to build it up like it was like this big moment, but the I don't know, it just didn't gel. Mm-hmm. It didn't gel and it didn't come together as the end of a a movie. Yeah. 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 Um so Chris, uh I, I know in the site Vanessa wrote up this whole Dune ending explained if anybody needs a explanation explanation or like a, just a spoiler discussion. Uh she gets into it there. But what could you uh concisely uh no (laughs) there's so much going on i mean uh yeah basically basically uh this is this is as concise as i can make it okay uh, on arrakis which is the planet the big desert (laughs) planet uh there's this group called the fremen and uh you know they're they're the uh indigenous inhabitants of this planet and uh there's the house of trades and then there's how do you what is it the harkonnens Harkonnens, yeah yeah and they're vying for control of the planet. You know, they're, they're colonizers basically. Uh, and they're, you know, they, uh, there's an emperor who we don't see in this movie, which I thought was a interesting choice. They just mention him uh, who uh, gives control of the planet to the Atreides, but he's doing this because it's all part of this really convoluted. Wait, planet. wait, who, who's the guy in the bath then? That is the Baron, played by Stella. Oh. See, I told you, there's no way to condense this. Emperor. I thought that was the Emperor. Okay. No, no, no. The Emperor, they don't show him in this for, for whatever reason. I guess they're saving that for the, mm. the sequel. Uh, but the Emperor is is putting this scheme in play to kill off the Atreides line, bloodline, whatever. And so the, the Harkonnens come back and they, they kill off a bunch of people. And Paul Atreides, who's Timothy Chalamet's character, and his mother... Lady Jessica, who's Rebecca Ferguson's character, they get dropped off in the desert uh, um, after, like you know, they, they kill their their captors or whatever. It's a it's a it's a whole thing. Anyway, they yeah, come across. He, he basically uses the force to to save yeah, them. Yeah, they have this thing where they the using the voice where they can literally c- command people to do things. It's like the force, yeah, pretty. And uh, they end up in the desert and um, they wander around a little bit. They got to do some goofy walking because if they don't walk goofy, the the sandworms <laughs> will hear the rhythms of their walk. I wanted more of that, by the way, because love that it just gets tossed off, kind of. Like Timothy Chalamet is like, all right, look, we got to walk like this. And he does this like really, it's like he's doing the, the Ministry of Silly Walks from Monty Python, basically. By the way, like, I, I have a huge complaint about like them, expo- like this has some great world building, but in this movie, a lot of it has kind of explained away from this like computer database that uh, the main character is listening to and yeah. explaining the world and explaining how you have to walk. And I was like, oh, the walking thing, that's going to come 
into play later on. And like, that's going to be a big thing. (laughs) Later on, it just happens like once. It kind of was. Yeah, they they, they attract the sandworm by accident. Anyway, so uh, eventually the Fremen show up and you're like, all right, the movie's really going to get going now. And then the movie ends. Uh, (laughs) What happens is there's this one Fremen character whose name is Jamis? Jamis? I don't know how it's said. And he's like, I don't like this Paul guy. And they fight and Paul kills him. And the Fremen are like, all right, now you can come with us because you killed this guy, which just seems like a weird thing, but I don't know. (laughs) And then they just walk off together and then the movie friggin' ends. And, you know, uh, the sequel will be about, you know, Paul getting, uh, becoming like this, this Messiah to them and stuff like that. And, yeah, because they prof- think they think he's there to save them. It's like or a, yeah, there's like a whole chosen one prophecy thing. Uh, I have problems with that too because look, I like Timothy Chalamet. I think he's a good actor, but he is not very charismatic, especially in this movie. So I have a really hard time. You know, I, I'm guessing the sequel will explore it more, but I have a really hard time buying that anyone would be like, "Oh, we got to worship this guy as our god." This, you know, this young boy who is like kind this of pasty white kid. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. You know, I, I, I hope they, they sort of go into that more in the sequel because I have a, a hard time buying it. But anyway, yeah, the movie ends. They cut to a shot of the, the, the one character riding the sandworm and then the, the credits roll. And I run out of the theater because the movie is four hours long and I got to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's Dune. <laughs> I, well, I also think there's a problem that, like, I don't really care about many of the characters in this movie because the movie has not given me a reason to care about them. But yeah, I me- gotta say, I really did not care about Paul. I, I cared about Lady Jessica just because I, I love Rebecca Ferguson and I think her performance <laughs> is really good. Like, she's she feels like the far more interesting character. Like, I wanted to know more about her, like, the secret organ, the Benny Jesuits. They're like magic nuns or something i don't, mm-hmm. I wanted to know more about them like i don't care about paul really and the, the movie like sort of just like it gives them a really cool like moment in the beginning where the the charlotte ramplings character gets off this ship and it's raining and everyone's wearing gowns that are blowing in the wind and i was like oh this is cool but then like it's like yeah we're done with them. It's like, I want more with the, the space nuns. Give me that. There's supposed to be a whole uh, show or it was announced before the pandemic. So I don't know what the status is, but it's supposed to be like a whole Benny Gesserit show for HBO yeah. Max that was uh, in development <laughs> at one point. I don't know if that's still going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel bad because I, I, I feel like all three of us are not like super. I mean, Ben seems like to be the highest out of the group here on this, but it seems like critics are loving this, right? If I look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's getting... Uh, yes. it has, yeah, it, it, and like you said, when they had the first screening, people were saying that this is like the new Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I I think there's a uh, people are just hungry for. I don't want to you know explain away people because you know, people maybe people really do love this movie, but <laughs> I do think we're sort of like starved for big, and I mean big entertainment that is not just the same old same old. And even though you know Dune has been strip mind for parts by a million other franchises this does feel like oh it's something different it's not just another superhero movie it's not just another you know sequel it's it's a big blockbuster that is in theory original to audiences who don't really know what the hell dune is because it's, it's not like it's not like you know it's a cult thing it's not like you know people everywhere are like ah yes i'm yeah. wholly familiar with dune like no so I do think it does have that novelty going for it, where it's like this 
big ass movie with a really a good looking cast. Like everyone in this movie looks great. And they, they, you know, they're walking around in cool costumes and, you know, that, that goes over well when people are, are in the mood for something different, you know, a change of pace. So I do think that has played a hand in, in the, uh, very, very positive praise that's, <laughs> that's come out about this. But I also think it's a pretty good movie. It's good, not great. That's how I would, I would sum it up. Yeah. Ben, I got to ask you because you have read the book, uh, my criticisms, uh, and I guess Chris's criticisms about the the characters not uh, really having much like doesn't seem to be much of substance to these characters or or enough to get me to care about them. Is is there more in the book that fleshes them out? I mean, I think Timothy Chalamet is a really really good version of Paul as he appears in the books. Um, but Chris's problem with him maybe not being uh, with the Paul character, maybe not being as charismatic as you would like, or, uh, you know, as fully believable as like somebody who could stand up and become a leader to these people. Yeah. Uh, I think I felt that while reading the book as well. So it, it sort of seemed like they were trying to cast more, um, really across the board, really, uh, um, to be as close to the book as possible um, instead of maybe like give me somebody with, you know, who's just dripping charisma uh, to, to make it believable for like movie audiences. Um, the, you know, it, the, the book does get into some of the inner workings of some of these other characters, like the Chani character who's played by Zendaya for like three minutes in this movie. Um, you, you definitely <laughs> this get a whole movie. Like they build her up with those like, his visions mm-hmm. and I, you think that like she's gonna be a big part of the ending of this movie yeah she's a, she's a really really big part of the back half of the book um and i think they've they've gone as far as to say that she's essentially going to be the main character of the the second part of the movie if it ever gets made um so you know the, it, you learn a lot more about stilgar the the um javier bardem character and like the the whole dynamic of the fremen people and everything that's that's really what the the whole second uh part of the story is about is is timothy chalamet and um rebecca first ferguson's character sort of assimilating into that culture and um at one point uh well i don't, I don't know how far i want to go in terms of like spoiling what's going to happen in the next movie but um well yeah. uh, let, let's let's talk about the next movie so if people want to you know cut out here they can um how many because dune isn't just one book right Right, it's yeah, a series of books. There's several, yeah. And I guess this part one, part two would just be the first book. That's my understanding. Um, I I think there is room for them to introduce other elements from other books if they want to do that. Uh, but yeah, the, I mean, from what I understand, it's supposed to be a pretty clean adaptation of just the first book. Yeah, I know Max on the site wrote up um, a whole thing on the Dune sequel and what comes after part one. So if you if you don't have the time to read the whole book, uh, you can go read that on slashfilm.com. But Ben, if, if you you seem to be a big fan of the book, if you if you were to make the plea to the people listening to Slashfilm Daily of why they should go and read the book to to find out what happens before a movie come, we don't even know a movie's coming, right? Because, uh, I mean, how well is this doing at, at, at the box office? It's doing okay, right? It did pretty well, actually. It's, yeah. it's doing it's doing well enough that I'm I think like any day now, like this they'll announce it. They're going to be like, by the way, we're making the second one. But yeah, yeah. So so we're probably like three years away from a sequel, maybe. Yes, yeah. I don't know how long. 
it takes to make movies because like <laughs> the yeah. pandemic has like thrown everything in this weird yeah. spot. So, yeah and the cast is extraordinarily busy because it's yeah. like some of the biggest actors in the world well the good news is all the actors can wear masks in the desert for yeah. the sequel yeah, and then it'll true. be all covid compliant so no uh, but ben do you want to make a plea to the audience on uh, why they should read the book well, I mean, I, I talked about the book when I first read it, like yeah. a year or two ago on, on the water. Cooler. Yeah. On the water cooler. And like, I, I have my issues with the book, but I do think that the story is, is really compelling and interesting. I think the most interesting part of it is, um, you know, th- there's all the stuff, like I mentioned of, of, uh, of Paul and Lady Jessica sort of assimilating into this Fremen culture. And they're, they essentially train the whole um, Stilgar and his whole people into becoming better warriors. And it's all in service of like this giant uh, political power move that Paul makes where he, he basically like blackmails the emperor. At one point he uses, as, as Max says in his, uh, in his write up here that we've linked to in the show notes, he says, um, where, where is it? Well, I've just lost the quote now, but basically he talks about how, um, the the emperor you know who who tried to uh, essentially kill off the entire atreides bloodline paul ends up becoming this this leader and he makes this really really savvy political move to uh underhandedly you know to to undercut what the emperor was trying to do and he ends up um yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say too much of it, uh, too much okay, about let, it. Because let, let, let's not do it because, or let's not, let's not spoil it because. I'll just, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good enough tease. I think there's there's enough um, like really cool like oh shit moments, uh, and there's a lot more sandworms, and as Chris is hoping, probably a lot more of the the weird sand walking um, that is going to happen in the in the back half in that second movie. So yeah, all the combination of all of those things, I think, is enough to. Um, there's a really cool like one-on-one fight scene that uh, Paul has in, in this giant like arena area in front of the emperor. And um, yeah, th- there's, there's some cool stuff that happens in the back half of the story for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is there anything else we want to say about this movie? I, I do want to say how cool the vehicles were, how they were kind of like little mosquitoes or I mean, huge mosquitoes, like I guess. Dragonflies. Yeah. Or dragonflies or whatever you want to call it. Um, how technology was, kind of not like screens we usually see screen technology as being a bunch of screens and as far as i know there weren't any screens in the, uh, there was like a hollow projection right but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i don't think there's any screens um ben chris do you have any final thoughts on dune uh i just hope they get that desert power that oscar isaac keeps talking about throughout the whole movie he's just like desert power he says it like 10 times so i really hope they get that desert power in the sequel uh i will uh, see i've never seen the david lynch movie but chris you've seen that and and you have a um you think it's a little bit better than uh than this I, movie right or, I or say, wait, not, yeah. yeah i wouldn't say better i would say i enjoyed it more because it has a sense of like weird playfulness to it that is nowhere to be found in this new one. This new one is very, very serious. Even when they're talking about the stupid sand walking, they're doing it in this really <laughs> dry, like no one's having fun here. Uh, except um, Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho, who is, mm-hmm. who is having an absolute blast playing. Way, a character he seemed like he was in like Idaho. a different movie. Like <laughs> he's just having a good time, man. And like, 
that character is much better in this new one because in the in the David Lynch one, he she's barely he's like in like one scene and then he dies instantly. So he has a lot more to do in this sequel. But the, the Lynch movie, I don't know, man. I, I you know the Lynch movie, it looks cheap a lot. It, it, it and the special effects, even for nineteen eighty three or eighty four when it came out, they they just do not look good. But it also feels like a really alien movie. Like nothing feels normal about that movie and that's what i love about it because it's set you know hundreds of thousands of years into the future and on these weird planets and so that should feel alien and i feel like this new one it feels i don't want to use the term realistic because it's got you know fucking sandworms in it but it's it's done (laughs) in grounded yeah it's done in that grounded realistic style where everything feels like kind of familiar and I kind of love that the David Lynch movie does not feel familiar. It doesn't feel like, obviously when the David Lynch movie came out, they were all hoping. And by that, I mean the producer, I don't mean David Lynch, but they were hoping, you know, this is going to be the next star Wars. And it's not, it doesn't feel like star Wars at all. And I'm not saying this new one feels like star Wars either, but it just feels a little bit more familiar to me than the Lynch movie. Like if you watch the Lynch movie, you're like, there's no other, quote unquote blockbuster sci-fi movie that feels as weird as this does. And mm-hmm. I kind of wish that was sort of carried over into this new one, but I know it wouldn't be just because uh Denis Villain I can never say his name right. Whatever his name, however you say his name, and David Lynch are such different filmmakers. So yeah. but I do think um I do think the David Lynch movie plays a lot better now than it did when it came out. Um I watched it I, I had seen bits and pieces of it over the years, but I never sat down and watched the whole thing until now when I, when I was reading this piece and watching it after watching the new Dune, I don't know. It made me appreciate it uh, a lot because they're actually like weirdly, at least from a story perspective, they're very similar. So I guess Lynch's movie was a lot more faithful to the book than I had realized because they unfold in a very similar fashion and not just because, you know, they're telling the same story, but they, they they have a lot of the same like beat by beat setup. So uh, until you know the David Lynch movie actually has an ending, whereas this one doesn't. So <laughs> it has that going for it too. I I haven't seen that movie in probably over twenty years. Uh, Chris, when you were watching this, did you have by your TV side that list of that vocabulary like word? Yeah, no. because when you went to the theater, right, like they would hand yeah. out this glossary of terms for you yeah, to there understand. Was a, there was a there was a double-sided piece of paper that they handed out at certain screenings where it would be like, you know, explaining a lot of the words they use. So uh, that the, I actually posted a story about that on, on slash home too. You can actually read the the old glossary. There's, there's scans of it online. So if you're confused by Dune, go, go look up the glossary, which explains words like sandworm and uh, Dune. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll link that in the show notes. I, 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 one last thing. I know we're going along with this, but I know the 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 mention of Star Wars keeps on coming up with Dune, like people saying it's the next Star Wars, or you know, there's obviously there's been a lot. Uh, I don't know, copy uh, a lot of inspiration has been taken from Dune into uh, the Star Wars trilogy from George Lucas. I I think he would have to admit that, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I don't think it feels at all like anything like Star Wars, but there's things like, oh, that's kind of like the Force. Oh, that's 
the it's it's a desert planet that has like this <laughs> you know the sandworm thing that eats people in it and you know that kind of stuff um do, do we have an article up on slash film uh, about the inspiration of star wars on dune i feel like we must maybe brian did at Who one can point even keep track anymore i don't know what's on the site anymore <laughs> it's so much stuff yeah, there's too much stuff. If we do, I'll <laughs> link it in the show notes. Um, you can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast in Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast in Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.